So why did UCLA send out multiple depth charts for their week three game against NC Central? And why does it not say Dante Moore is the starter? We'll talk about that. We will talk about that today. Unlocked on UCLA. You are locked on UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On UCLA podcast. I'm your host, Zach Anderson-Yoxheimer. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Thanks for making it your first listen each and every day. It's free where we get your podcast, and it's available on YouTube. Thanks for your support. Thanks for making this, you know, thanks for tuning in. If you saw the tail on YouTube, you probably saw the cat with her tail sn- trying to sneak in on the episode of Locked On UCLA. If you're listening, then... I'm sorry you missed out. You're going to have to go to YouTube and watch the show as well because sometimes you miss the cool graphics or the the kitty appearances or any other wacky things that happen in the background of this show. Thanks for tuning in. This show is brought to you by – this episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. What we're talking about this depth chart fiasco to get things started is UCLA – sent out a depth chart for week three, all right? It says Dante Moore and Ethan Garbers and Colin Schley or, or, or. says the same thing for running back. TJ Harden, Carson Steele, Colson Yankov, or, or, or. Even Kyle Ford or Cam Brown, right? There's a lot of ors. If you're used to seeing depth charts, if you don't really know what that means, or basically means it's a toss-up for starter. We don't really know. We're not going to tell you. You just have to wait till Saturday or whenever the game is to see when the game starts. And unless you're in the media right there next to the SID, the sports information director, you're just not going to know right away unless you've got some sources. But the big thing is they didn't send out multiple depth charts and multiple releases because of quarterbacks. They sent out multiple depth charts because of DBs, right? It was UCLA accidentally, apparently, a mistake that Jalen Davies, the redshirt sophomore corner, was listed ahead of Devin Kirkwood. They sent out another depth chart to have Kirkwood ahead of Davies, saying he's still the starter. I know Kirkwood has been a long-time Bruin. Davies coming over. He's had more of an impact, which I've seen has made a lot of Bruins fans frustrated that why hasn't Davies supplanted, if you will, the likes of his starting teammate? Davies this year has come in in two games, five solo tackles, an interception in week one of Grayson McCall and two pass breakups, where if you look at at least Kirkwood stats right now in a couple of games, one tackle, no interceptions. I know it's only been two games and zero pass breakups. So Davies has already made more of an impact. Although you could say the younger player that probably tried to challenge him, but for UCLA, they haven't put Davies out there. I was wondering, Hey, why does UCLA not utilize Davies more often, at least putting him in the starter in a depth chart? I'm not sure. But it's funny that they had to send multiple, multiple depth chart releases out in order to make that one correction, that one distinction, where what we're simply hoping for is that sometime UCLA makes a clear distinction as to who's the starting quarterback. More on that in just a couple of seconds. Another interesting thing I've seen from practice reported on by several outlets. I think it's saw it from Ben Bolch and Bro Report where UCLA is changing one of their former receivers into a DB, an official position switch, 
in Jaden Marshall, the redshirt freshman from Stockton, California, played at St. Mary's High School, actually ran some indoor track, played in a couple of games as a Bruin, but he's getting shifted over to DB. So considering shifting things over, I'm not sure how much of an impact that's going to have right now for the 6'1", 190-pound former receiver turning into DB, but that's what UCLA needs. They don't need more receivers. They need more help in the secondary. If this can be a big position switch for Marshall and maybe something that impacts him, that's maybe something to look for down the line. Yesterday, apparently in the Monday practice, I should say, he was switched, hadn't had the jersey switch, but after reading more reports, he switched his jersey to the defensive jersey. And if you're not familiar with how practice works in football, you've got one set of jersey colors for defense and one set of jersey colors for offense. Then you've got the quarterbacks who are in some very designated different color, usually in red of some sort, to make sure you don't hit them. So that's what's going on in practice. Many little depth charts and everything in between. Which leads me to the final point of this first segment, right? We are all sitting here wondering why can't Dante Moore be announced as the starting quarterback, right? He's battling Garbers and Schley. We've seen Garbers get a start in game one. We've seen Schley in some mop-up action and some couple of cool running plays against San Diego State. Some have varying opinions of, oh, he looks pretty cool. He looks very athletic. Others might have said, eh, it's about it's against the Aztecs who were maybe playing their backups at that point in the game where the Bruins are up three, four scores in the fourth quarter. But for UCLA, they've got three options. They have a deep quarterback room, which is unique. But I thought, hey, let's compare and contrast the last time UCLA had a starting true freshman quarterback. And technically, they have not had a week one starting true freshman quarterback since Josh Rosen. I know DTR had some moments. We're going to kind of slide him to the side because Wilton Spate had won that job initially and got taken out because he was hurt in week one against Cincinnati in Chip Kelly's first game. But looking back to Rosen and his true freshman stats, considering Moore is more of a pocket passer, I would think the two of them a little bit more comparable, more probably a lot more athletic in my mind from what I've seen to Rosen, who somewhat flamed out in the NFL, but had some great UCLA moments, at least big passing numbers, and some winning records, at least that first year, to lead the Bruins into some fun, entertaining moments that we hope Moore can actually have a successful team career as well as individual statistics. So I decided to look like, hey, let's take a look at these two games these two teams have played, the two quarterbacks played, right? UCLA had the likes of Dante Moore and Josh Rosen play in two games. Rosen was the clear starter the first couple of games. And looking at the numbers I wrote down here on my handy-dandy little notepad, you have Rosen in his first two games against Virginia and in a dominant win against UNLV on the road, similar to what UCLA had. They beat the likes of Coastal Carolina, maybe less dominant than what the 2015 Bruins did uh, against Virginia, but then dominated a Mount West team on the road, 35-10. to 10. Bruins back in 15 beat UNLV 37-3 to 3 in a game that was never really close as opposed to this UCLA-San Diego State game, which had some hairy moments for a little bit until the Bruins pulled away. So comparing Rosen's first two career games, he threw 65% at 65% completion percentage, 50 for 77, four touchdowns, one interception, over 570 yards passing. All right, some pretty good numbers, especially the completion percentage. Well, you look at Dante's Dante Moore numbers, right? In, in exclusively maybe five, five and a half, six quarters of football, if you're really thinking about it, Moore, much less passing opportunities. 21, or excuse me, 24, something like that for 39. Five touchdowns, one interception. And I know the Bruins had a very vaunted running attack, especially against UNLV with Paul Perkins putting up big numbers. 
if you go way back, when and look into the box score. But Moore has more touchdowns in the first two games than Josh Rosen did as the heralded true freshman back in 2015 when he didn't have to do anything for that starting job. So more touchdown passes for Moore, considering he didn't even start week one. All those touchdowns came later and had some good moments against San Diego State. 430-plus yards. So if you take some of Garber's yards in week one, you could say that Moore, who's got a 61, 62, I forget the math, I did it wrong, whatever, 60-plus percent in completion percentage, you're comparing the freshman numbers of what I would think was a very good Josh Rosen freshman year. You look at Dante Moore, a similar five-star true freshman recruit, and you look at those numbers, and eventually saw the numbers that Rosen put up, especially in college. Hey, these are guys that, hey, this is a guy that started as a true freshman. Why can't Dante Moore, who's clearly having the, the offense clicking on all cylinders, or at least more than it looked like at points in week one, why can he not start right away? Those are the first two games. Similar numbers, mind you, Morris played less, throwing the ball a lot less. The Bruins eventually started 4-0, top 10 ranking. We were hyped up before they eventually played Arizona State. And yet here UCLA is 2-0. Uh, you could argue about the quali- qualities of Virginia versus Coastal Carolina. Virginia in 15 finished 4-8. and I'm not sure how Coastal Carolina would, face, would fare against an ACC schedule, but you could compare their talent level. And then... Two decent, well, you know, I could say, I wouldn't say decent, but Mountain West teams in the road and more went on the road in semi-packed stadium and got the job done starting in his first career game. So you compare those numbers, a defense that's doing good things so far, UCLA, I, I think, has to have their answer. You look at the depth chart, it's almost like Chip Kelly refuses to give some younger guys, I, I know this is more talking out of, talking out of, you know, everything, but Hey, Davies, technically not the top of the dip chart. I know the running back is more of a dual role right now, but he's just afraid, maybe not afraid, but just trying to keep too many people happy in the locker. Whatever it is, Moore just hasn't apparently earned the job where there's something that he doesn't know the offense that just has not come to the light of day yet as to why he's not starting. Because if you see these numbers, Josh Rosen was a pretty good UCLA quarterback. We're not going to even go into the NFL because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about his career here and now in Dante Moore versus Rosen, I think those are numbers that clearly state, hey, Moore's ready for the moment. If you give him more opportunity, pun intended, I think UCLA can take off in what will be a very unique, competitive swan song in the Pac-12 conference. And while I'm not saying they're going to go win the Pac-12 conference or even make the championship game, there's still many tests and even tougher tests than we realized before the season started. Hey, those are unique. This depth chart should reflect that. And just know, hey, if Moore is clearly not making it happen in some game down the line, they've got multiple options like the dual threat in Colin Chile, who I think should get a play or two more than what he's getting so far. And Garbers, hey, at, at this moment, he, he's still a capable option in the UCLA quarterback's room. You could think of different years when, especially when Rosen went down, when who are the second or third options for UCLA in those years, right? Or when DTR, you know, even when DTR went down, Garbers has stepped in quite nicely and moved the ball. And not, and he could probably go start somewhere else after this year when he finishes and says, hey, I, this isn't my opportunity anymore. He can go start somewhere else and probably be successful. But for right now, UCLA's got a deep room. I think Moore's a top on it. Top on, is at the top of the leaderboard. When he compares some Josh Rosen-like numbers, hey, put him there. Give him that opportunity and see what happens when he runs with it as opposed to just juggling these guys 
pretty much into the Pac-12 opener against Utah in a couple of weeks if they're not going to get a lot of information or take a lot from the NC Central game. We'll see how it plays out. Maybe something drastic happens that shifts it, sways it one way or the other. Yet here the Bruins are still finding, or at least Chip Kelly, that is, finding ways to not name an official starting quarterback. Almost all the publications seem to be in agreement. Everybody seems to be in slight agreement. Give more the job. But, hey, they, they just don't seem to want to give those opportunities, or at least announce it yet publicly for one reason or the other. What's unique, though, as we transition into more basketball talk, the Bruins, with all their you know big-time freshmen coming in, all the newcomers, well, what does their outlook look like? I was looking at another Joe Lenardi latest 2024 bracketology. ESPN doesn't even actually have UCLA in their preseason top 25, so it reflects in the bracketology, maybe not so much by Lenardi's perspective, but they're a lot further down the seed line than one thinks. And then I also saw CBS Sports's preseason or their projection for a starting five. And I was like, that's interesting. I might disagree with that there. We'll talk about that more on Locked on UCLA after this. Again, this episode brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. And hey, you can maybe get some money off, $20 off Game Time when you get an opportunity to go get some tickets at some games, right? When you're looking for some last-minute tickets against NC Central. They're the perfect place for last-minute tickets, right? You don't need to plan months in advance. I know you didn't plan months in advance to go to this NC Central game, but if you want to see all the Bruins in person, probably a fun game, the Black Excellence game. They play another FCS HBCU team in NC Central. This is the team that beat Deion Sanders and Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl. It's one thing to go play Alabama State. You're going to want to be in there, so go to game time and check it out. They've got deals on games right up to the day of the event, and they've got the game time guarantee, always getting the best price. If you find seats in the same section or and row for less, game time will give you 110% of the differences. You can snag the tickets without the stress with game time, create an account, get the app, use the promo code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply, create an account, use the code Locked On College for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute ticket deals. Go Bruins fans to the Rose Bowl and cheer on the Bruins to 3-0. It's the lowest price guaranteed with game time. Second segment of the Locked On UCLA podcast. Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer with you guys. Is Hey, you know, Bruins basketball, little less than two months away after the dropping of this pod. And all of a sudden, we're waiting for UCLA to go. If you really are excited and you want to go on Halloween, more power to you for an exhibition game when they take on Cal State LA, you guys will probably see it. We'll talk about it on this pod. If you're an everyday, you just have to wait almost a month and a half until the first live action for the Bruins in Poly Pavilion. But until then, we talk about who could be potential starters, what's happening now that Adaimara and Burke Bullington Chill are better I should say better Bullington Chill are officially in Westwood moved in. All most of the questions, 90% are pretty much being dealt with. And now it's figuring out how this overall game management, roster management, minutes management is going to go in terms of a production standpoint and a success success standpoint for Mick Cronin, right? I looked at one of the latest bracketology releases from Joe Lenardi. The Bruins are in a Pac-12 that is expected, at least preseason-wise. The release date of this bracketology was September 12th. 2023, early in the morning by Lenardi. That is maybe the same day that we dropped this podcast. 
So what's important is this is as live a reaction you can get to the bracketology. Pac-12 conference predicted to get five teams in there. Arizona is expected to be about a three seed. They can lose in the first round early again for all I care. They're expected to play in Salt Lake City against Vermont. Maybe they'll get upset like they did last year. Who knows? Jokes aside, UCLA is listed as a sixth seed, expected to be in the Spokane Regional and playing the winner of the game between Virginia and St. John's in the play-in. And we all know about how good or bad the play-in can be. The Bruins ran with the play-in all the way into the Final Four a couple of seasons ago. And that's where Mick Cronin and the Bruins have hung their hat on as their greatest success so far in the Cronin era. But with all these newcomers, all these freshmen, this is the mystery team in college basketball who could easily be a top 10 team or the top three, top five, arguably the best class in the country. In my perspective, I said they might when you re-rank it down the line with all these incredible players, they could easily have the top class in the country for 2023. And now they're sitting here looking to play in the first round against either Virginia or St. John's. That's the Rick Pitino St. John's team. So that's a little different with the Red Storm. And also I thought, you know, Joe Lenardi has a sense of humor. Of course, you probably punch in numbers and have a lot of things. And you know who he has them projected to play against? Yes, guys. In the second round, the Bruins would technically be projected to play against the number three seed Gonzaga Bulldogs, who are playing Iona, which was ironically Rick Pitino's former team, the Gales. So a lot of weird connections between those two things in that little pot. I know this is all hypothetical, but I think it's just funny that you could have UCLA play Gonzaga, maybe St. John's in Iona in an alternate reversed upside down universe. And that would be a funny Rick Pitino battle clash there, right? But in the end, it's maybe UCLA Gonzaga posted again. And they have UCLA as a six seed. And for all the hype that USC is getting across town, they're projected also as a six seed in the tournament. Colorado's put in there. And then I believe Oregon is somewhere in there as well as a nine seed. Colorado also a nine seed. So this is an a interesting year for UCLA hoops. Because then when you dive into what the projected lineup is, there's so many different thoughts. I've gone back and forth. The Bruins who can go big, who can go small, who can mix and match. Depending on the team who they need, on the floor against the opponent, the starting lineup probably will be different at least 10 plus times in the season. I'm thinking based on not even injuries, but just the different combinations Mick Cronin can employ, which is why you see the Lenardi's of the world having UCLA as a six seed bumped up from a seven seed. Now that they've brought in all their classic, all the recruits, they've all been ranked for the most part from Bedeke to a die and everybody else getting some three, four-star rankings up to a five-star ranking, which which Mara has, you know. Oh, this is what CBA Sports has as UCLA's projected starting lineup. Bear with me. Comments maybe are, you know, expected. Andrews is the starting one. McClendon is the starting two. Stefanovic as the starting three. You've got Mara as the starting four. And Bona as the starting five. Coming off the bench would be Barricay, Mac, the likes of Nuba, with Feeble Vide battling for de- for some depth roles with Devin and Brandon Williams, which is interesting because, hey, you're looking, you're like, wait a minute, I'm thinking Vide might get more time as the backup too and might be slotted higher than what this article has in terms of from David Cobb in terms of saying, hey, you know, is Vide getting more love and run time depending on if he develops a jumper and some good defense or some college-level defense? Or, hey, isn't Bedeke recently even being talked about as a starting quarterback, right? Or quarterback, starting starting four, starting power forward, or maybe small forward if the Bruins want to get really dicey and play extremely big. 
it's still a lot of things to talk about for UCLA and Mick Cronin with all the new assistant coaches, the player developments, all the communication because the Bruins have a much bigger staff, shifting roles with Samovich gone, international players, seven, eight newcomers, seven freshmen. And there's just so many question marks. And I almost completely disagree, maybe not completely disagree, but I'm thinking, hey, I think McClendon might be coming off the bench and utilizing a different role. He could be key, as I've talked about before. But I'm thinking, hey, maybe UCLA is going to go with someone else as the starting two or shifted differently. I thought we've talked about how Mac is his scoring important. Does that lead to a starting role? Maybe not initially as the true freshman who puts up a lot of points, but needing more efficiency based off his Spain trip. I don't necessarily agree with this. Maybe Mar as the five, Bone as the four, or the half just center power forward combo, depending on offense slash defense. Maybe the only thing I have a disagreement with here is McClendon being the starting two, and depending on how he develops over the years, how he's slowly recovering from the ACL tear, he could easily be someone that works his way into the starting lineup, maybe this year or later in a potential part of his Bruin career. It it just all is up for grabs right now, and that's why UCLA is a mystery. You could have so many different combinations, right? (laughs) You can go do the little Rubik's cube and you can have different little, it's not like everybody's got the same one. You can just do so many different combinations and be like, wait a minute, this lineup can look so many different ways. And all of them could arguably be effective from big with the better the Maras and bone in the same lineup to maybe better could be a, a starting could be the five and the Bruins play entirely small with a more guard heavy lineup, including Andrew Stefanovic and Mac all in the same type of lineup right so you wonder what does that mean for mick cronin and company i don't think they will be that low on the seed line however this is a trying time and it would be a little off-putting to say directly they're a one or two seed but i don't think they're necessarily a seven or eight seed but all of those are possible in this season depending on how they play early on in the in the maui invitational how they play you know, on the road against Nova, how they handle a home game against Maryland, and how they navigate a probably tougher than we expect Pac-12 schedule with a lot of roles that need to be defined with not too much time to do so, at least in the early part of the season before the schedule gets tough, like with the CBS Sports Classic, you get Ohio State. A lot of interesting games on this schedule to where UCLA has to figure out what are we going to look like or are we just going to be a rotating array of Whatever we play, we're going to throw out the best possible lineup. We're going to do the Chip Kelly way, right? There's no set starting five. Everybody's going to keep going, and Mick Crone's going to adopt that model. They're co-hosts, you know, horse owners, right, horse racing owners. Now you've got uh, both coaches trying to figure out who are your most important starting central pieces to a team that's got some newcomers and freshmen leading in key spots or maybe guys that need to step up in roles that they haven't in years before. It will be a fun year for UCLA hoops, which is why we're going to keep talking about it, keep developing it, and just seeing the wide array of opinions and thoughts about UCLA hoops. Because I'm not sure if they're a six seed. Maybe Lenardi's being nice or he's being very doubtful. I don't know. But I don't agree with the, the CBS Sports model, the starting five. It, it, it's just so many ways it could go. We're going to finish off this Locked on UCLA episode talking a little bit about some women's volleyball in women's soccer, one a defending champion, another team going into a new era, and maybe trying to follow the women's soccer model for women's volleyball, like Alfie Rath, in being successful and as a first-year head coach. We'll talk about those things 
coming up to wrap up the Locked On UCLA pod. Well, the first week of the NFL has come and gone, but there's still incredible offers on and from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers right now can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets, $200 guaranteed. All customers who also bet $5 can get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. Mind you, there's still a whole part of the season to go from YouTube and YouTube TV if you want to get all the action from the NFL. So join FanDuel. It's the best time to do so right now. The app's super easy to use, betting on everything from spreads, player props, and more. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Wrapping things up on the Locked On UCLA podcast, Zach anderson I'm with you guys. We're going to talk a couple sports right now, women's volleyball, women's soccer, right, in some of these fall sports. You've got women's soccer, who is ranked number one for a little bit there. In the fall, they had, they're the defending champions, Marguerite Irozasa, who replaced Amanda Cromwell and, or took over, I should say. And the Bruins, after a crazy, exciting national championship run, beating North Carolina in a packed out house, the Bruins in overtime won that championship match and were now the top dogs with a lot of key returning pieces like Sunshine Fontes, Ryland Turner, amongst many, to try and become a repeat champion in women's soccer which is maybe what Martin Germont maybe looked at looking at Alfie Reft, who comes over as an associate head coach from San Diego, looking to get a first head coaching experience and a former men's player in his own right from Santa Barbara and Hawaii. He comes over after a brief professional career playing wise, coaches at San Diego as a Torero assistant. They go deep last year in 2022. And now he's trying to be that first year head coach that flips UCLA success after he's taken over for the previous coach, where the Bruins won back in 2011, but hadn't had success, including a 16 and 13 season in 22, 10 and 10 in the Pac-12 conference, and that's just not going to get it done for UCLA, right? You want to be successful, a, a program that is defined by multiple national championships, four NCAA titles, but none in the last decade plus. As the game continues to grow and get more exposure on more national media outlets, they want to be dominant, especially when you head to Big Ten country, when you're going to go play Nebraska, who apparently can sell out a football stadium to play volleyball. You're going to want to compete, especially on the women's side, and have a very diverse team. So first for women's soccer, the Bruins are sitting here in the top five. They have a loss. They're five and one. Their only loss this year came against BYU, the number one ranked team of the country, 7-0, and where the Bruins lost in Provo, which is already a tough place to play. BYU and their system, they always tend to score a lot of goals. They'll beat you by five, six goals, and they'll, I'm not going to say laugh at you while doing it, but they just go and they regularly embarrass opponents, right? I've looked at scores, ridiculous lopsided teams that the Cougars have had over years, times before, the top 25 years before, and they'll routinely go in there and beat teams who are pretty good. And UCLA this year has outscored teams 16-4, to posted four shutouts. Again, Fontes coming off another dominant, I believe, Pac-12 of the Week performance, player of the, four, player of the Week performance, words, I believe a hat trick or another multi-goal brace performance. And the UCLA's had four shutouts, but three of the goals they gave up was at BYU in a 3-1 to loss. Other than that, they've been pretty much dominating opponents and winning in rather dominant fashion, or at least controlling the game. And I know Pac-12 play will be pretty hard. The last year of it, before the conference splinters, and you wonder how all these other sports that we don't 
usually talk about and give a lot of light to, but I'm trying to right now, where UCLA is a nationally relevant program. Women's soccer is a very fun sport to watch and very entertaining. The Pac-12 is a very good conference, right? The USC is the UCLA Stanford, who was ranked in the top four in the last poll that hasn't been updated at the time of this podcast recording. This is a very dominant side of the country when it comes to women's soccer. You've got like the Santa Clara's, who is not a Pac-12 team, but all these West Coast teams that are really good that they're now going to have to go play across the country just to get their conference games in during interesting, inclement, late-season weather in non-California games. But overall, UCLA looks good, right? They've gotten some results, and while maybe the Provo result wasn't the one they're looking for, their only loss was on the road to a team that's very good that plays at home 7-0, and the Cougars are the top team in the country currently, right? Not the WCC anymore, Big 12, BYU, right? So we'll see how it all plays out for UCLA. Again, they had to go on a run. They had some late season setbacks too, even had to eke out some postseason matches, right? And PKs and then overtime, but maybe with some experience and the coach who's won in year one, you can't win everything, but you would, I think the Bruins will be okay in women's soccer wise. We'll, we'll talk about them a in bits and pieces here later down the line, but overall they're being successful. But now we kind of turn the page to women's volleyball to wrap up the pot, right? As I mentioned, the team is already coming off a slightly winning season, but a 10 and 10 Pac-12 record. And yet Cerny, who stepped down, so technically Martin German hasn't fired anybody, goes out, finds Alfie Ref from San Diego. And so far the Bruins are seven and one. They lost their season opener at LSU in five sets. Not the best of losses, considering LSU at the this moment, the recording of this podcast is three and four under five hundred. The Bruins did avenge their loss the next night. They got a five set win after a five set loss, and they've won seven in a row, including going to the Outrigger Classic and playing the Hawaii Rainbow Wahine Pepperdine in Liberty and sweeping that mini Invitational over the most recent weekend with some key moments beating Hawaii, who is ranked on their home floor, which is a very tough environment to play. You go to Hawaii and beat them at their place. You beat a good WCC team in Pepperdine, which is almost always a very solid program or a tough team to beat regardless of where they play and just dominate Liberty. The Bruins are showing some signs with some key pieces this year that I was going to highlight. You've got Iman Njai, who's come in, led the team in kills over, I believe, three kills per set. You've got Grace Olsen, who really stepped things up, second on the teams in kills and kills per set, just under NGI. And some of her best performances coming against Liberty, right? A hitting percentage, an attack percentage in one match against Liberty of 684, 689 if I wrote that down correctly, and just absolutely absurd. And maybe not her best performance against in Hawaii, but 16 kills hitting 364. I was like, that looks like a good performance, only to realize, wait a minute, she played even better against Liberty the match before, a couple of days prior, out on the islands. So Olsen's been a nice addition to help out with the offense alongside Njai, considering she's not played every set this season. Overall, the UCLA Bruins have been helped out by Ashley Mullen and Audrey Pock, who are two players who are leading the team when it comes to being the key setters for the team. We've got Mullen, who leads the team in assists. Pac, who's kind of picked things up after redshirting in 2022, which is something to note. She redshirted in 22, and in 23, she has come in and been an important piece in recent matches, even having more assists than Mullen in the Hawaii match with the Bruins won in four sets. Now the Bruins have multiple good passers that can spread out the offense, and now they're helped out defensively by 
a transfer who maybe you knew of, maybe you didn't, Peyton Dueck, who with three and a half plus digs per set has 120 digs, clearly the best for UCLA when it comes defensively, right? Digging it out. Dueck wasn't necessarily designed or paved out with a starting role in her first season transferring over from Cal Poly after a Big West freshman campaign in 21 that saw her name to the freshman team, was an All-Big West honorable mention for the All-Big West team, played beach, was actually a very good beach player for Cal Poly, came to UCLA, didn't get a lot of playing time. I know she had a couple of starts, had almost 150 digs in her first year. Now, in about eight matches, as a key component to UCLA's defensive strategy, she has 120 digs and almost is about to surpass that in the first third of the season from her first year of UCLA production to this year and really putting herself back on the map after her freshman campaign at Cal Poly. So key pieces who maybe didn't play last year or play too much this year or last year everything are coming together and one wonders how UCLA is going to fare this year looking to win a title for the first time since 2011 and wanting to emulate that success that Marguerite Eozasa had. I know a difference because they're good. They had some talent already. Neozasa had some postseason magic with her team late in that season in 2022 for UCLA to win a championship, their second ever in women's soccer. And for what you would think is a more storied program in women's volleyball, I would think say, hey, UCLA's building. I'm not sure how Reds postseason success will be. They're not ranked. That first loss to LSU is not good. Their win knocked Hawaii out of the top 25. But I think they're building for more successful things. And these programs, I think, for UCLA women's soccer and women's volleyball are headed for success in different measuring cups, right? Women's soccer, the ceiling is much higher. At least the expectations are much higher. For volleyball, especially after the last decade plus the last season, I do think that they're going to go maybe surprise some teams with some interesting results. We've seen some upsets already happen in women's volleyball, like Texas going down to Long Beach, and UCLA went to Long Beach and beat them in front of a packed crowd. The Bruins haven't even had a single home match at Poly Pavilion. That's not happening for another week, the first month all away from home, and here they are looking with some good results, 7-1 and one at the moment. Does that mean they'll compete immediately in a very tough, stout Pac-12 conference, which had Stanford in recent years go on runs of national championships and even other programs be very tough to beat? Oregon's been tough. All these different teams – I think UCLA can compete this year. Are they going to win? I'm not saying that. But both teams are looking good with their early season non-conference results. We'll see how they build as the season progresses into the middle, late September, October, and the final Pac-12 seasons for some, for some of these programs before their, their competitive lives look completely different heading into the new Big Ten era. And these are the, some of the programs that are going to be impacted the most for one reason or another. In the meantime, UCLA fans, stay tuned. We'll talk more NC Central coming up. We'll get more previews. We'll give you more news and notes if anything changes. Maybe UCLA names a starting quarterback. Maybe it'll be Colin Schley for week three. That would make sense, right? Three quarterbacks, three separate starters in three weeks. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but who knows what will happen at this at this rate. Hands up, Bruins fans. Eight clap time. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. U C. LA. UCLA fight, fight, fights. Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer. And if you're on YouTube watching Luna the Cats, signing off on this episode of Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.